Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Control Yourself Podcast. Uh, today's show is sponsored by FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com. Uh, visit FunctionalAnatomySeminars.com for any upcoming online or in-person certification dates for the Functional Range Systems Seminars, including Functional Range Conditioning, Functional Range Assessment, Functional Range Release, uh, and Kin Stretch Instructor Certifications. It is also brought to you by Westside Barbell, Uh, Westside Barbell, -barbell westside-barbell.com. Go ahead and visit. Uh, Use the promo code DRE10, D-R-E-10, upon checkout for 10% off uh, all merchandise, bands, equipment, etc. If you don't know who Westside Barbell is, um, you you should learn. Uh, If you're a strength and conditioning person, you know about the work of Westside Barbell and Louis Simmons. Uh, really revolutionized the sport of powerlifting as well as um, strength and conditioning and, and building strength and power uh, as a whole. So please do visit westside-barbell.com for equipment, educational materials, and more. On today's show, I sit down with Joel Gerson. Joel is the owner of RevMMA.com. Uh, Rev MMA or Revolution Mixed Martial Arts, um, which are mixed martial arts clubs that are located in the greater Toronto area. Joel is actually my jiu-jitsu instructor as well as a jiu-jitsu instructor uh, to many as he's been around uh, martial arts for many, many years. Joel's um, a pioneer in Canadian MMA. Many of you guys might know him from his famed win over previously undefeated champion Rumino Sato, where he defeated him uh, in Japan uh, first round by armbar. Joel has 30 years of experience in teaching martial arts, uh, including IBJJF black belt in jiu-jitsu, as well as IJF black belt in judo. Over 10,000 hours of teaching experience. Uh, He's a five-time Canadian jiu-jitsu champion, three-time Ontario judo champion, and the North American fearless fighting champion. Uh, as well as my instructor, as I think I noted. We also, uh, in the conversation, you will hear from Mark Brunswick, who's um, the uh, Director of Operations for Functional Range Systems and Functional Anatomy Seminars, and he's also a brown belt under Joel Gerson as well. Um, you know, we talk a lot in, uh, on this uh, particular podcast about training, about proper strength and conditioning for jiu-jitsu competition, and or any MMA, grappling, or striking, uh, striking contests. We talk a lot about the philosophy of teaching and the philosophy of training. Um, we talk about the aging uh, martial artists, uh, how to prevent injuries, how to keep, uh, keep yourself uh, strong, uh, flexible, uh, actually flexible and strong. Anyway, if you are a, uh, any fan of mixed martial arts or you're studying martial arts now, uh, please do listen to the whole thing because there is a bunch of very interesting, very important training tips uh, that you will pull from it. So without further delay, I bring you my conversation with Joel Gerson. And we are live with Joel Gerson and Mark Brunswick. Yes? Hey. Hey, what's going on? Um, I guess we need to do some background stuff because no one in my audience, well, not no one, some people in my audience might not know who Joel Gerson is. 
So do some your, people do in this your, room might not know. This, yeah. So do your, like, your, <laughs> let's start with your, like, why we're here. So first off, Joel is my jiu-jitsu uh, coach as well as uh, Mark. Uh, Mark's been training with Joel for how long now? A long time. 13, 14 years. 13, 14 years at Rev MMA. And he's still way. a blue belt. And he, <laughs> he's not no, a blue he's belt. Not a blue belt. If, uh, he's not a blue belt. Yeah, that's like the worst thing to be called if you're not a blue belt. Oh. To be called a blue belt. Yeah, especially if you're a brown belt, <laughs> which he is, and to be called a blue belt. Yeah, you that's... got to give credit where credit's due. So anyway, what's... You've been an instructor for... How many years now have you been instructing? I've been doing jiu-jitsu in its different forms for 30 years. But not for 30 years, but you started in judo. Yeah, but the style of judo that we did was like the old style of judo, which was essentially jiu-jitsu. So there was a ton of ground fighting, there was self-defense. Jiu-jitsu's evolved. So the jiu-jitsu that you're seeing now, the sport jiu-jitsu, was like one branch of jiu-jitsu. Okay. But obviously what the Gracies did growing up yeah. was like a, more of a classic form, and that's close to the style that I grew up practicing. So there were times where we'd focus more on takedowns. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of competition, back then there was no jiu-jitsu competitions in Canada. Okay. So you'd have to compete in judo. Um, and, we won, and we won a lot of fights on the ground just because of the style. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we still did a lot of the self-defense and um, the MMA, like the Valetudo and stuff like that. And for people who don't know, <coughs> when you say judo or jiu-jitsu, when you're talking about judo competition, with regards to the groundwork, what are the rules with the competition? Like, how much time do you have it, actually on it the It changes. It's changed over time. Okay. So it used to be that you'd have a lot of time, but then to make it more fan-friendly fan for the Olympics and the average spectator, they don't give you much time. And also to differentiate it from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Because mm. most people don't understand when they see groundwork what's going on. Mm -hmm. They understand a big takedown. Yep. So think of the Olympics in Judo. A big takedown, everybody understands. It's like a knockout in Judo. It's clear. But groundwork is very nuanced and it's this small motions. So like a, as an observer, it would be... They try and make it more popular so they eliminate the time on the, that people get to work on the and ground. And what do they have now in, in Olympic Judo? Like oh, I don't even follow Olympic Judo. So you don't even know I, have, I have nothing to do with it. Because it seems to I don't, like it's a throw, I, throw contest. I haven't, I haven't looked at Judo in... I, it comes in passing in my Instagram feed, but okay. like I'm, there's too much Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to absorb that that's what you have to immerse yourself in. Okay. But with regards to the Judo then, getting, do you think that that has changed the way it's been taught? Like, do you think that the popularity of Judo as an Olympic sport has changed the way it's been taught such that when you studied it, it was something different than when I than, than we studied? Like, for example, Taekwondo in my life. When I studied Taekwondo, it was, mm -hmm. it was Taekwondo, and now it's what it is, right? Yeah, it's, pro it's probably evolved for sure. Yeah. Um, is there less groundwork in Judo now because... Yeah. Okay, so it's a throw. It's like anything, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, over time, you have to specialize. Mm -hmm. As people start to get at higher levels of expertise, the level of differentiation and uh, specialization, everything starts to get compartmentalized. So now... You know, you can. You only have so much time to get good sure. at something. You sure. have a finite amount of time, and as participation levels rise, you have to get better at that specific thing. So they need to focus on takedowns. The fight starts standing; mm -hmm. they get good at standing, it's but they're good on the ground. That's their, but that's the, that's their thing now. Yeah, and the same way BJJ is focused, like they barely do takedowns in, in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same kind of um, reverse formula. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, with regards to BJJ, then speaking on the same terms about sport jujitsu, that we talk about a lot, clearly that's changed the way jujitsu has been taught. Sure. And so, even with jujitsu now, you'll have different streams. So you have 
some uh, jiu-jitsu academies that will focus primarily on the self-defense aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Valente brothers or the Gracies. And then you have other academies that don't even teach that. At that all. just focus on sport. That's all they care about is sport BJJ. Like the instructors don't even know the self-defense component. Um, so then you have the other branches that will also mix, you know, the MMA style in with the Valetudo and the kind of like street self-defense um, that they have instructors that actually know takedowns. So, so when, we have people specialize. So when you're talking like in your club, which you have two now yeah. uh, in, in the greater Toronto area, where the, the one in Zim One's in Vaughan and one's in North York. Vaughan and North York. RevMMA.com. Yeah, it's RevMMA.com. Yeah. So what, how do you approach it? Like do you harken back to teaching this pure jiu-jitsu style or do you run with the sport thing and how easy or difficult is it to look at the trends and either go with them or stay away from them like in your club like how do you how do you see your club as being run so i feel you can answer that too in a way but well i could i mean i think i've seen an evolution to it really it depends on who's in the class and who joel's teaching to because if he's conscious of the class that hey i know i have four people that are competing in this class let's take let's dial it back 10 years ago and you know joel's notorious for points yeah. I, don't, I don't give a shit about points. Mm-hmm. Get the finish. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You got your two points? You got your four points? No. He, he went in there like an assassin. I want to end this fight. I'm going to end this fight violently um, and impose my will on you. But there's a reality, too, of like, listen, you have white belts or blue belts at a competition. Like, he'll modify certain techniques and saying, okay, yeah, we could go for the finish here, but hey, let's go knee on belly. Let's take our points here. Let's take the back. Let's get your hooks in. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, it, it depends. Yeah, and then the other thing is that when you have beginners that are coming into a jiu-jitsu academy, they're not thinking about the sport aspect. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about what happens if somebody grabs me in a headlock. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the branch to get them if you want them in the longer term eventually to fall in love with the art and the, and the sport aspect, which I think is more of a long-term uh, goal for a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you have to bridge the gap from walking down the street to grappling. Mm-hmm. And that's typically the self-defense component, which I think is an important part. But also I feel like it, it's, and this is where I think the Gracies have it down well, where beginners come in and they're not free sparring. There's positional sparring, but they have to learn a foundation of self-defense moves. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are not body aware and self-aware um, in terms of their physicality mm-hmm. to really jump into sport jiu-jitsu. They have to know what to do. And from this position, guy grabs you like this, and a lot of times people still have to get in shape. Which is, which is my realm, I guess. Um, and we'll get into that later, is the idea that everyone who's doing jiu-jitsu or judo or anything, for that matter, is doing it with their body. And this is something that people often... It's, it seems obvious, but people don't appreciate what I'm saying. Like, if you're doing jiu-jitsu... <clears throat> He's doing jujitsu with his meat wagon, right? So the Mark meat wagon is what is about to apply the jujitsu. So you can't get, you can't separate that, mm. which is I think what happens in a lot of clubs now where you just have a hundred people and you just start teaching. But the idea that you have to teach to your, your clients based on their abilities. Yeah. And, and, and I think as it pertains to what you do, and this is what I try and get through to my students is how can you control someone else? if you can't actually control yourself. Brilliant. So, for example, like last week I was teaching kids uh, gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the parents might be watching the class and they're going, well, this is not martial arts. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's everything. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't do a bridge and you can't do a handstand and you can't do these, if you can't control your body, your own self, mm-hmm. I can't expect you to be able to control somebody else. Mm-hmm. And the same thing 
with adults and I'll translate into adults and I'll say, listen, there's not a single black belt that can't do this gymnastics. Mm -hmm. They can all do this stuff mm -hmm. um, to varying degrees of effectiveness. But I feel like on the journey to black belt, a lot of it is balancing the strength with the flexibility or the functional range um, and really knowing your physical strengths and limitations mm -hmm. and working on them over time. But if you look at a white belt coming in who's stiff, who might be overweight, um, who may be inflexible, they all have like, if you look at like a, a chart, it's like up and down, up and down, different, different strengths and weaknesses, like a character in a video game. And the key is to get everything up. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like jujitsu is a vehicle to work on that. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have guys working towards their black belt now and they all have things that they need to specifically work on. I have one guy who's physically not super strong, so he's doing strength training. I have another guy who needs to work on his range, so he's working on his range. And I feel like as you get deeper into the belt system, that stuff becomes more apparent in order for you to survive. Mm -hmm. You have to have a good uh, level of self-awareness in terms of your strengths and limitations. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really think like the FRC stuff is great for that kind of stuff. I was going to say that, uh, as you know, my kids have, they started in, in Muay Thai Jiu Jitsu and now they, they've transitioned into wrestling. Um, and that's something So we've that, lost them? Well, no, yeah, no. Well, oh man. They'll be returning. Oh, I, I, no. needed, I, I wanted to put them in rep because if, I was going to say that, let's not take your club because I know your club runs very similar, but in a, a lot of clubs, what I think maybe Jiu Jitsu has been lacking, and you have to correct me, of course, is the training of the skill. So it seems to me, and I've, I've studied with you for a long time, but I've studied with other people all around the world kind of, and it seems to me like a lot of clubs, it's like, come in, learn a, a technique, and let's, let's all get to rolling. Whereas in wrestling, it seems like... Drilling. It's drilling, right? It's like, how many, how many doubles have you shot? Wrestler has shot all of them. Like, it's like, we get into the class and they're like, you know... Start running, start running, and 20 shots, and 20 sprawls, and do it again, and more push-ups, and run, and more push-ups, and gymnastics, and that kind of and stuff. And that's because I feel like uh, wrestling is very competition-oriented. Yes. And yeah. if you want to compete, you have to rep. And it was the same thing with judo. We would do uchikomi and nagikomi. You would and I, and, and I, I still do this with my classes, but more so with the kids. The adults, um, it depends on what we're focusing on. Uh, if you want to get good at a specific thing, your body has to rep it such that it becomes mechanized. Mm. And I explained to the kids, for example, like when you're doing the reps of a takedown, the same way with judo, mm. I said, each rep has to look identical to the previous rep. Because your body has to be able to press a button or pull a trigger, and you have to be able to do it reflexively under stress. And the only way to do that, because takedowns are a big movement, it's not a jab, it's not a cross. Mm. Your whole body has to turn in, it has to move another body. The only way to do that under pressure uh, especially when the window of opportunity in a fight is so small, the timing has to be so perfect, is to have repped it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And See, that's, and that's important. That's okay. So in my terminology, what, what you're saying is you, you need to create a pattern, right? Yeah. So that's what we'll say. Like when you're repping an arm bar, you're repping whatever you're creating the instructor, you, <laughs> you're confining the variables of a movement. Mm hmm and you're implying your confinements into your students. So you're saying this is what an arm lock, an arm bar looks like, and this is how to execute. And you said something interesting, you have to rep it the same way every time. 
So now Mark gets down and he has to start repping this arm bar. Um, but getting back to what we said before, his ability to take that instruction and execute and learn is going to be dependent, like you said, on his internal environment. And that's what I think people are, are, are missing. You can have the best instructor in the world. You and your brain can have the best pattern. But if his body is unable to execute or if his body is broken, so to speak, and the, the, the body doesn't speak to the brain as well as it should, it's going to be difficult to make the pattern that you're yeah that you're asking for especially if you don't rep it which gets me back to my other point which is you know you learn today you learned uh i don't know name a move anything it's like what when are you getting back to that move a wet willy a wet willy i was reading your you face learn, and that's like, what back i saw take, wet willy on your face back take to wet willy when are you gonna <laughs> fucking practice that again that's the yeah. question like are you gonna do that again in a year right or are you gonna hit it again and sometimes as a coach or sometimes within a jiu-jitsu class guys will get good at something by virtue of having covered it indirectly from different positions. So for example, an armbar, okay. you might hit it from guard, you might hit it from mount, you might hit it from side. You know. So you're wrapping the same move in the same concept. You're pinching the knees together, you're biting down the head, you're, you know, you're turning the wrist out to a certain angle. Um, so indirectly, you're wrapping the same move. Um, okay, different, different varieties. Yes, which with is, a similar pattern. So which is how the body works. We call it dynamic systems, where yeah. like jujitsu presents an environment <clears throat> that your system has to figure out how to deal with variables. Mm -hmm. So the environment is not always set in stone, which is why you're telling people to rep and become amazing at repping, but you know that in live rolling, it's not, it's not. So what you're saying is if you give people different touches at how to get a Kimura from here, from here, from here, from here, you're indirectly. And what I find is sometimes, um, the variety over time can be greater than that individual rep, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, that, that, that individual positional rep, mm -hmm. because it's also law of diminishing returns. Some people need to be engaged and they can't robotically rep. Sure. They just, they, they're, they're not built like that. Perfect scenario though. You have the perfect fighter in front of you. Yeah. Who do you want? Someone you want someone who can rep. I want someone that doesn't think. Yeah, you just want someone that's gonna. You just want a machine that's gonna rep. Yeah. Is there a repping machine? I'm I'm exaggerating to one that doesn't think. But yeah. sometimes overanalyzing mm -hmm. and thinking too much. Am I doing it? Yeah. No, no, no. You, sometimes it's, you you don't want that internal voice. You want you want a, a body that you can just push and say, okay, do a thousand of these and they're gonna do it. That's simple. Okay, so now let's bring this back to to striking. Okay, so I've always been say, saying this, and then see if you agree. It's they'll always say, like for example, Muay Thai. I think we talked about this in another podcast, but I'm not sure. In Muay Thai, you'll say the kicks are the strongest, right? Generally, you yeah. say that you know if you're versing karate or if you're versing a taekwondo, anything, you'll say Muay Thai is the strongest. And I'm not going to disagree with that. But what I will also say is, on top of that fact, there's something different that you do in Muay Thai training that you don't do in taekwondo training and you don't do in karate training, which is use reps as training mm. see what i'm saying so this brings us into another topic about how to train someone if you're doing bag work right in my terminology bag work if you're going full out is called max effort work mm -hmm. so like you know when you're in the gym and people are doing max effort deadlifts or squats because they think for some reason it's going to help them kick when in reality max effort kicking is likely going to be the thing that makes you that makes you kick harder. Mm -hmm. So I ha I happen to think that when I learned karate, it was I did a lot of bag work, and I know that old school taekwondo guys they used to do a lot of bag work, 
and mm-hmm. now there seems to be a lot of air kicking. Yeah. And no rep. To get points just to make the contact. Yeah, but you're not, you know, you can throw a karate roundhouse kick or a Muay Thai slam kick. Mechanically, one's going to be stronger, but on top of that, did you actually train the kick? I don't mean practice the kick against mm-hmm. a, a, unwi- a willing opponent. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you actually put force into your body in the exact way that you're going to have to absorb force? And how many times did you do it? Mm-hmm. Because then you can't say which one's stronger. You have to say who trained. You know what I'm saying? Right. You can't just hit, you know those those flippy bags that you kind of hold out like the that? The clappers. The clappers. Like you can't... But they sound great and parents love them. And then you know what you end up getting is people when they kick, you hear that like slap instead of the thud. Did you hear there was a study uh, about martial artists that kicked, that drilled their kicks in the air mm. and over time they all have hip issues? If you, if you, there, I don't know if you heard about this. I've not. That's yeah, not, that's it's very really interesting. Much. I'll see if I can find the link. Yeah. But this big study came out on martial artists that practice their kicks basically in the air without making contact with anything. Mm-hmm. And over time, they develop hip issues. So the, the point is that it's terrible to practice your air kicks. Well, we talked about it last time about putting input into the tissue, right? Okay, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're generating force using tissue, and then when you strike someone, you're, you're transmitting the force into another person, but you're also having to absorb force because of the impact. Okay, so all of those things are force load management, and if you're kicking into the air, you've never trained force load management. There's that, and I don't know if it's something to do with stopping the kick. Of course, eccentrically stopping the kick is, yeah. is a huge... I mean, when you hit it, that's why I was saying about max effort because people are so confused. Like you go under a bench press and you, and everyone, I go, do you understand how this is a max effort? And they go, of course, this is a max effort. But at the second that you strike that bag, there, that's the most amount of force you're ever going to feel mm-hmm. into your tissue. So mm-hmm. that brutal training of the tissue. And it's exhausting for it's, a reason. It's exhaust. But this is what, where I talk about is that people don't see that as training. It's like they separate it. So for me, when I do bag work, there's some days where I'm doing dynamic bag work. So I'm increasing my velocity. Mm-hmm. But if, if you understand the for, what's called the force velocity curve, it says that as you increase velocity in anything, your force has to come down, mm-hmm. right? If you're lifting, if you increase the velocity of the lift, you can't lift as much. And if you want to lift more, you have to decrease the velocity. That's just a, a general training law that we have to we have to abide by so when i'm doing kick training it's like what are you doing today are you doing max efforts or are you doing dynamic work which by the way people in the audience you'll you'll hear these words you'll be like that sounds a lot about like how Westside does training how they actual training exercises and that's what i'm saying these are exercises right like and and i think everybody wrestles with the ratio of how much of one versus the other brilliant okay and so, and that and that that comes and that's I think is connected to every aspect, whether it's powerlifting or you know just regular strength training or jujitsu or striking arts. It's like okay, well, how much of this should I do versus this? Mm, mm. And I think people tinker with it still. And some people are you know really systematized and really organized, and they chart it and they look at results. Yeah. And there's some things are quantifiable. Okay, well, I lifted and he lifted and he lifted X number of pounds last week, yeah. and we did this. Or last month, et cetera, et cetera, and we can we can look over time, but it's harder with jujitsu because it's more subjective. 
It's not a certain weight I'm trying to lift. Which brings me to another important topic that we're going to talk about actually at the next summit. It's the, there's an association bias. And the association bias, and you can talk about this for martial arts or any sport, the association bias is that people think that if I want to get more power, like let's say you, you're now comp competing again, if mm. I'm correct, right? You're doing, you're, you're yeah. doing just comp again. So if, if you're saying, I need to be more powerful, maybe you were in your last match, you said, I, I just didn't have the... What people end up doing is they say, they look out into the, into the world and they go, where are the powerful people? And they say, oh, Olympic lifters, they're very powerful, right? And this is where everything falls to shit because then people say, okay, I, I'm in jiu-jitsu, I wanna be more powerful. Olympic weightlifters, their whole job is power. Let's go ahead and do what an Olympic weightlifter does. And this is where the shit hits the fan and, and I'm amazed that people don't understand this because as soon as you say, okay, I'm gonna do what Olympic weightlifters done. Now, first off, you're a good coach, right? You've been studying fighters all this time. You probably don't actively look for Olympic weightlifters to make into jujitsu players. Like if you're a scout, it's not like you would be going around. It's not to, the first place I'd look. It's not the first place. But however, if a jujitsu person says I need more power, everyone seems to look to these lifts, right? Because mm -hmm. it's an associate. It's a it's an association problem where people say that if I do that, that's going to make me better here. But there's a law in human physiology called the law of specificity, which is the most studied law in the history of the, f the, the fucking history of physiology, and you're breaking that law as soon as you say that. Does that make sense? But then that also implies that there's no transferability. Okay, so very good question. So it's not that there's no transferability, but is there a better way to transfer abilities? And mm -hmm. this and, is, I'm uh, gonna bring this to you. And, and hold on a second. And this is not an intervention. This, <laughs> no, no, no. this, this is not why we're here. No, I did is, not brief him. This is for, for okay, so yeah. let's take Mark as the as the brown belt almost grading for black, I think. Better, a little while. Whatever, whatever that is. He's got another four years. What, <laughs> so I, I'll ask a jiu-jitsu guy training, I'll say like, okay, last week, what did you bench? And they'll give me a number. And I'll say, okay, what are you deadlifting right now? And they give me a number. What do you squat? And they give me a number. And then I go, okay, so for your, your GPP, your general preparedness, or your SPP, your sport prepare, you're, you're cultivating your ability to do these movements, and you're insisting that every week you're trying to, you're trying to get more. more. You're trying to increase your bench. You're trying to increase your thing. But then I asked him something the other day. I said, what, what's your squeeze like, and when was the last time you trained your squeeze? And you said, <gasps> you said what? And and here's where I, I need I, I want to go with this. It's like if if you're doing jujitsu, what capacity do you want to always bring with you? For sure, it's not the snatch. Like if if you you only have a certain amount of time. You said it. You only have a certain amount of time in your week. So if you're going to train something, mm -hmm. where are the reps of people doing max effort medicine ball squeezes for hold? Because as far as, I'm, as I know, I've never met a Jits player that said, you know what, I didn't win that last match because my bench was 10 pounds less than it should be. But I have heard I locked up a rear naked on the wrong arm and I didn't have the squeeze. I, mm -hmm. couldn't, I couldn't finish. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, well, how often do you train that squeeze? And mm -hmm. that's where I think we should be talking about the conversation about how do you train? Well, the, the thing that's interesting is that there's certain exercises that do have specific carryover. 
mm -hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise think that would. And I mean, I, I guess a classic is the deadlift. Deadlift, I'll give you. Yeah. Yeah. Because in jujitsu, there's times where you're in guard, you're trying to pass, and he's pulling down on your head, and you have to posture. Absolutely. Or you know that classic hip hinge exercise mm -hmm. um, for hip thrusts, or, or you know. Not a snatch. <laughs> Not a snatch. You see, like this is this is the point. Like so, that's you. You took one step further, and you thought about it. And I was, I'll give you that. A hundred percent. You're breaking posture. You're trying to posture up. You're trying to pass. You're trying to break. Or you're arm barring. And you have to extend the. And you have to extend thrusters, the hips. Hip thrusters. Hip, yeah. This all makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, bench press. So people will say, well, you know, you have to push people. I can always think of a scenario where that might somehow resemble what you're doing on the ground. The question is the opportunity cost. What, there has to be a hierarchy of yes. which are the best exercises that have carryover into your specific sport. Brilliant. And I don't, I think that right now, because sport jiu-jitsu uh, is getting to a point where people are taking it very seriously for competition, there are groups of people that have identified what makes sense. Yep. Whether it's, um, you know, uh, farmer's walks, or battle ropes, mm -hmm. like, you know. But I don't know if there's a specific um, workout plan that you can copy paste and give to every jujitsu person. No one, because yeah. guys have different specific needs. Yep. But I think a big and and this is and I think a big big topic with this is or a big port big part of this is how much you're going to burn out in that workout, so that then when you go to training your grips are actually fried already. Mm -hmm. So we talked about squeeze. A big thing is like, we gotta work on our grips, whether it's pull-ups or you know this and that. Mm -hmm. But are you gonna burn out your grips in, in strength training mm -hmm. so that by the time you go to roll in the evening, you have nothing left? Okay, so or how, yeah. how, much are you gonna, how much are you gonna work it? There's only so much output that your nervous system can give. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so now let's get back to the topic. Like I did deadlifts last week. Sure. And was fried for days. Sure. <laughs> like, but like I also want rolling people, like a you blue belt. Yeah. But yeah. I want people to. I do want people to understand though is that that is that is that is what programming is, right? You 100% have to be like, if I'm doing max effort squeeze work today, mm. then max, then you know, going and and training rear naked choke, uh, whatever it might be. A, so yeah, you do have to think about where you're spending your energy. Which brings me to my point. If I see a jujitsu guy in a gym. And I see them working on a snatch or a clean or a or any named exercise because we have a tendency to only think that the exercises that we're given names are real exercises. And I, well, even put a pin in that for a sec. I mean, anecdotally, you could say, looking at sport jiu-jitsu over the last ten years on the world stage, who's it dominated by? Monsters. 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 With the exception of yeah. A few hype, uh, super sure. nerds sure. that are hyper technical. Menda, Men, you know, Mendez brother, you know, yeah, getting, you know, Mikey, Mizumi, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, 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 Mizumi, you know, like all those kinds of guys. But you, know, so it's this sort of like you know, jits is still in the dark in, in a lot of this training because the assumption is if you're going to do well, you have to be this jacked. Okay, let's stay, let's stay on that yeah. monster, and that's what's in the ether. And people go, well, fuck, I got to look. I have to look like a if I'm look like a CrossFitter going in and jacked to the gills on Mexican supplements or not, right? There's what? the bias. There's the bias. There's the bias yeah. because conceivably you can, okay, so here's the example that I use, I like to, to use. You see like Tyrone Woodley, 
okay? And Tyro Woodley's gonna go fight. And you know, there's always gonna be a Rogan or some commentator's gonna go, that dude is strong. Like, mm-hmm. that guy is, is so strong. His wrestling is so strong. And then Ben Askren is, is up next. Mm-hmm. And what does the commentator say? That guy's wrestling is so strong. That guy's so strong. And now the question, in my mind, one of the two people wasted a lot of time, conceivably, if we're just going by appearance, mm-hmm. and the other person figured it out. Mm-hmm. And, and what I, I'm implying is that it, it, it doesn't fucking matter if you look like a He-Man doll. Like legitimately, you can say that, you know, you know, be, you know, for whatever reason you want to get bigger, you want to get strong, but that you clearly can look at the last doesn't... Bo- the last boxing main event. Fury oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, sure. and, and Wilder. Dad bod versus... You know, right? And what is ever this guy's so strong? That guy's so, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor's not like he's built. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but he doesn't look like a bodybuilder or like a crossfitter. Yeah, he's not like a brick shit house built, right? Mm-hmm. And knockout power, unbelievable knockout power. How many got Chuck Liddell? Mm-hmm. How many guys before we start to realize that it's not the application of power to a predetermined movement that someone else invented? It's the application of power when you need power. Mm-hmm. So. Personally, what I try to tell, especially now we have, we're all getting older and you're training and we're, you have to really, and like what you said, you have to think about where you're investing your time. So what, so what would you answer if a guy asked you, okay, so listen, I need to get better at jujitsu because at the end of the day, the, people are going to want to come to you for sure the final answer. Yeah. Say, I want to get, but it's true. I want to get better at jujitsu. We can talk about what lifts or whatever, but what kind of. Uh, protocol are we going to do? Are we going to do five by fives? Are we going to do ten times threes? Yeah. Like, what's okay? Because well, I because I I need explosive power. Yes. But then I also need stamina. Like yes. I need to be strong in five minutes. Yes. As well. Yeah. So I'm working on different systems. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. Okay. So what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. it's I very, feel like it's complicated. It's it is unfortunately <laughs> is that the the body seems to be way more fucking complicated than people want it to be. Mm. Um, Just figure it out. Bro. Yeah, and I don't know. How, I don't know how to make this fucking. I don't know how to make it easier because it is what it is, and everything you said needs to be upkeep. So what's the? Give me the question again, generally. So a guy wants to be better at performing at jujitsu. Okay. Do we make him? Do we just build him as a better athlete overall? Okay. And program him to be stronger with the cl- like the classic strength of, um, you know, three reps, ten sets, for example, or eight sets, and then change it every week and six and yeah. or um, or is there a specific um, volume and number, mm-hmm. which can change based on age, right? Because. Obviously, okay, so let's go. Let's, let's, from, let's go general though, because yeah. I can't give you. No, no, because has to be the first. Sure. Yeah, okay. an so, average adult. You, okay, so at the beginning of this, we said you said what percentage of training is for like you versus in the gym. So I look at that as internal versus external training. So what we're describing is external training: bench press, squat, deadlift, all of these names. Every time you say when you say a name of an exercise, mm-hmm. I'm going to say some dude made that shit up. Right? Mm-hmm. Somebody made it up, mm-hmm. so they've patternized you into this exercise and you're trying to replicate the exercise. So let's call that external because the result, good or bad, it's an external result. I made the lift or I, I snatched the weight, so the, the, the goal is the snatch. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Okay. Okay. Yoga. People often talk to me about, they're like, is yoga good for you? Like, dude, I don't know you. 
I know that yoga is good for yoga. So the, the, what's the reason for yoga? I think that for guys, to get good I yoga. for guys, the goal with yoga is also the snatch. One hundred percent. Um. I was right there. I right. was right there. And I killed his train of thought. I got his mind in the gutter and I killed his train of thought. Okay, I remember. You were so talking about complicated things. Internal versus external. <laughs> okay, so you said, what's the percentage? In my mind, and, and I can argue this with literature, if you're a, let's say you're a weightlifter, your job is powerlifting. Mm. You should probably be at a 50-50 internal to external training. Meaning that 50% of your training should just be about my shoulder and what it can and cannot do. And then 50% of the training can be about making lifts. But if you're a jiu-jitsu player, or if you're a grappler or a martial MMA guy, I think that the numbers start working out to be somewhere around 90-10 or 80-20. In that the amount of internal training that you should be doing should exceed the amount of external training. Now, forget about the jiu-jitsu training. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when you are bench pressing, for example. I can coach you on the bench press. I can tell you how to bench press. I can tell you to pinch your shoulders back. I can, t- I can tell you to do it like a power lifter. But the fact of the matter is, is that Mark's shoulder is the one doing the bench press, right? So let's say, for example, Mark doesn't have a lot of shoulder room. So, you know, I tell him, move his shoulders. Oh, fuck. So that means his shoulder, it's, it's limited as to where it's able to go. So when he bench presses, his shoulder can only go into this position, which means you're overloading the same tissue over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What Mark should be doing is he should be breaking open room in his shoulder so that when he goes to the bench press, he can bring more of his muscle into the, the exercise. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Just like saying if you're a BJJ player and you're doing a bench press and someone's like, that's not how you bench press, and they start to coach you like a power lifter. Stop listening immediately because you're not a power lifter. Your goal with a bench press is to put more mass in different areas so that when you're out here, you can pull that arm in. Or if you're getting kimura'd, you have the millisecond that you can sneak out, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 you're not trying to get good at the bench press. That's a misnomer. Getting good at a bench press means that you're becoming more efficient at it, which is why I say, if you go swimming, swimming is only good exercise if you don't know how to fucking swim. As soon as you know how to swim, you've accommodated to the water. So you've made it more easy and more efficient to swim. And therefore, as a training stimulus to make you better cardio-wise, it's, it's less effective. But you're getting better at swimming. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So getting back to it, I think a jiu-jitsu player needs to take account for their body and, and really say, you know, where is my shoulder? Do? What does it do? What can it do? If you do this and this is how your shoulder moves, pick any exercise. It's going to stress the same shit and you can't indefinitely stress stuff. It, if you adapt the tissue, there's, a, there's an upper limit of how much it's going to adapt. If you keep stressing, it's going to break, right? So then I, I'll ask anybody, a jiu-jitsu player, like, your squat, how long have you been squat? How long have you been deadlifting? And they'll say, you know, I've been deadlifting for 30 years. I was like, so you should deadlift 17,000 pounds by now, but you don't. Why? Well, I get injured. Okay, I got injured or I I hit a plateau and I couldn't break through the plateau. Yeah, but the plateau is not the deadlift. You're the plateau. Like it, you, like Mark, Mark can only deadlift what Mark's body allows him to right now. And he's going to hit a point where it's not going to 
happening. So now what do we do? We make better mark. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's the easiest answer I can give you to how do you take some, you have to, the person who's about to do the activity. The You're talking about important. prepping the body for the exercise. Yes. But let's assume that the person's body is, the joint is healthy. It's okay. moving. It's, he's got a decent functional range for what he needs yes. for his art. Yes. At that point, he comes to you and he says, all right, and let's leave the, the bench press off because I don't think a lot of guys. Just, just, this is an example. For sure. Yeah. But, but are we talking about um, a programming that is super varied? Like, for example, CrossFit, they talk about being generalists. Yes. Like that's a big thing with CrossFit is being fitness generalist. They're not trying to be specifically good for jujitsu or boxing or basketball. They are fitness generalists. They're going to do, they want to be overall, be able to run 400 meters. They want to be able to sprint. They want to be able to lift at the same time. Like it's kind of a balance of all the different fitness components. So is, is the programming then going to be for jujitsu general mm -hmm. or is it going to vary uh, over time to satisfy the needs of both the explosiveness mixed with the stamina. It's, it's, it's both. So we're going to make an assumption that the person has enough workspace in their joints to do what they want to do. That's the assumption. Yeah. First off, we, we're, we're all agreeing that's an enormous assumption. Like, sure. The, if you're listening to this, I can almost guarantee that you are not that person, right? <laughs> because I've assessed all of these people, man alive, if it, it, Okay, so let's assume that you have you have everything. Then what I would say is, because you're saying you're saying spend less time on lifting, spend more time yeah. on but particular I, rotations. Okay, but no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying spend oh. less time on lifting. I'm saying redefine mm -hmm. what you think is a max effort. Because I can put someone. Okay, so let's see an example. Let's say someone has no shoulder, right? That you you, that you that doesn't rotate, and a shoulder has to rotate. So this shoulder doesn't rotate. So technically, you don't have a shoulder. If you don't, have a sh if your shoulder doesn't rotate, you don't have a shoulder. That's just by definition. So any named exercise you 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 try to do with your shitty shoulder, it's going to come out shit mm -hmm. because your shoulder is the one doing. And it. And you'll make it worse. And you'll make it worse, right? So in that person, I would say, well, you don't have any internal rotation, so you should be working on internal rotation. And here's where everyone gets confused because people think that you're saying, oh, Dre, you're saying don't work hard now. That's not what I said. For me, internal rotation, we would do something like a pails and rails, which mm -hmm. if you're not familiar, it's, it's isometric loading. So I'll put you in a position you don't have. I make you breathe in and I make you isometrically load your shoulder just as fucking hard mm -hmm. as you were coming into a max effort deadlift. Mm -hmm. So here's, the, here's the, the confusion is that I show myself doing a crazy hard pale set with all of my energy blasting into external rotation to get this tissue to respond. Or you see someone doing a crazy deadlift and everyone looks at the deadlift and goes, that person's exercising, mm -hmm. this person's just rehabbing. Mm -hmm. But that's the mentality that's wrong because to my body, if I'm accessing tissue I've never trained before, you're training, and I'm going full out, you're and training I training your body, you're training your body. Okay, so all of the endocrine benefits, which is the hormonal benefits from deadlifting, I'm getting it doing this exercise. All of the general neurological drive benefits from deadlifting, I'm getting it with this exercise. Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm at, I'm telling people to do. If that's you, I'm not saying don't deadlift, but deadlift gets put down here as something you might maintain, 
but you're not max efforting your deadlift because we all agree you it only have a certain, your, it becomes your accessory work it becomes your accessory work your shoulder is now the goal so i'm not saying don't train hard like if if you i've trained you when when i train people with mobility work which i don't even know what the fuck that means anymore i'm going full bore man like i'm fucking making you a hip if you don't have one and so then, it's just and, a matter of do they cry? Does he? Well, if you made some instructors cry, but the but the extension of that too is, and you covered it in the last summit, is okay. Let's take somebody. It's like yeah, great. You have all the prerequisites. You have a great shoulder. Now you're, you're introducing the speed and velocity training into those joints. So it's the same thing. Your internal training just gets ramped up. So yeah. it's not like oh, I'm back to human now. I have my functional shoulder. Now let me go back to deadlifting. Now make yourself a robotic, crazy-ass shoulder. Right. And, like, again, we can't talk... At, at length. Yeah, we can't yeah. talk in too many yeah. specifics on a podcast, but yeah. here's another concept that, that people might want to consider, right? If you're... This is, like, a length tension curve, so this is the amount of force that you can generate, right? And this is... Let's call this the angle or the length of your muscle, right? Everyone pretty much generates the most amount of strength in their mid-range of motion. So this is mid-range. This is where the this is where all standard model training occurs. What do I mean by standard model training? We just talked about it. If you name me an exercise, that's a pattern. If you name me an exercise and you name me a pattern, I'm going to tell you that you've done most of the work in here. Why? Because we, even when you're doing an exercise, if you think you're working full range of motion, as soon as you fatigue, you're going to start to cut off the ends. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a, if you're doing bicep curls, as soon as you get tired, you start to break the curl down into smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So the amount of work you've done here is in, is is immense. I always say train where you're weak, and on these two ends, these are the lowest hanging fruits in my opinion. So if you want, if you take a jits guy, I might actually say instead of working the mid range of the exercise, if you want a strong shoulder. You work the shoulder where it's weak. You know where your shoulder's weak? While you're getting kimura At the end of the range. At the end of the range. Yeah. In jiu-jitsu, that's every, like, and again, I'm going to, you're the expert. If you're, you're in a kimura, so someone has you in a kimura. Oh, yeah. Now, you don't have time to think about this, but if we slowed everything down, if I can give you five more milliseconds. Sure. That's, that's what you'd want. Well, the, I mean, I guess the, the kind of the classic example is, is Hoyler versus when you look back to, you know, uh, classic MMA matches is Hoyler versus Sakuraba. Mm. Sa Hoyler has phenomenal range yep. and incredible flexibility. I don't know what his functional range is, sure. but incredible, we'll call it flexibility for yep. now. Yep. And his hand was behind his back and it was a super Kimura, but he wasn't tapping. The same way with when Eddie Bravo had him in the... In, in the um, I don't even know what position it was uh, in the end. Vaporizer. It was a vaporizer, vaporizer in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he wasn't tapping. Yeah. Yeah. But in Japan, they stopped the fight because you, you know your shoulder was done. Yeah. Right. Your shoulder, was, yeah. your shoulder was done. Yeah. But for him, he was fine. He's looking at the rep because he's comfortable in that range. Was he fine or was he just sucking it back? Because that looked painful as shit. Uh -huh. I, honestly, after seeing what he didn't tap to that Eddie had him in. Yeah. Twenty years later. Yeah. He was probably fine. Was he going to get out? Yeah. Yeah, mm. he was holding the he was holding his gi right. If I remember correctly, because he had to have gi pants. Well, on. And don't forget, Sakuraba broke Hanzo's arm. I remember that. So and Hanzo wants to keep fighting. 
Yeah, because yeah. at a certain point you don't even actually feel the pain. Sure, and you just it just like pops, right? It's a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, badass. Uh, but the key is to be able to power out at that point. Is it going to be relevant because the other guy's got two hands on you? Sure. So, like, are you ever going to be able to make it strong enough to a point where it's relevant? No, but you can buy seconds. Yeah, and so that's the, that the key yeah. is to be able to buy seconds because maybe you can get your hip out, you can maneuver, you have a chance to um, just twist the arm out and change the angle, and then all of a sudden you're out of the position. So all that kind of stuff matters. And I think in the end range, a second or two seconds is huge. Okay, and, so and, think, and think about how many times you slapped it on like a white belt with no range. Oh, they just tap and, right and away. And you're tapping, you're like, I haven't done anything yet. Mm -hmm. It's just okay. they have no shoulder. So let's think about that. So I'm rolling you. And this assume everyone has the knowledge. Um, let's make this more believable. I'm rolling you. You put me in a Kimura within like the first. <laughs> knowing you, your shoulders yeah, coming out. Look. But if I'm back, <laughs> if I'm back there, right? How about we pause mm -hmm. and then we do some hard-ass isometric sets mm -hmm. from that position. Mm -hmm. And then I tell you you were weak, so I, I I've told you that this is not for, this is not you you have a problem with this. You don't have a problem with your bench press, right? Nobody has a problem with their bench press as it relates to jiu-jitsu. But you could for sure have a problem with a lack of internal rotation or a lack of the ability to produce or absorb force in internal rotation. So the question is, what's more important in scheduling that dude's exercising? Is it snatching? Is it strength or is it healthy joints? Or is it, it yeah. let, fuck that, put it together. Is it strength in healthy joints mm -hmm. where you need it most. Right. And that gets back to here. This is the this is the Kimura and this is where you tap. Why would you tap there? Because this is not something that's trained, which is which is what I'm saying. If I could come somehow lift this up, it's never going to be the same, but if I can make this kind of more like that, I get more time. So it's always to me a question where everyone's running around what exercise do I do? Do snatches, because strong people do snatches. Train like a sprinter, because sprinters are powerful. Or train like a jiu-jitsu person. Mm -hmm. Don't change your mind. It's the same thing. Work hard. Just redefine. Can I play devil's advocate? No, you can't. You can't, because it's the Dr. Andreas being a podcast. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, while that is important to work, it yes. still comes down to opportunity cost. Sure. The amount of time I'm going to sit and work on this and be yep. here. Or I could say to myself, well... How often is someone gonna get me in a fucking Kimura? I gotta pause you. Okay, you're simultaneously. But I'm passing. But I didn't even finish. No, but I have to stop because you're simultaneously doing two things. Number one, your position-specific training. Number two, you're making your shoulders stronger, which automatically translates into any named exercise you do. Mm. No one will tell you that having a better shoulder doesn't make you bench better. It doesn't make sense. So if I can get you stronger in shoulder, it's not a waste of time. That's the problem. People think it's a waste of time mm -hmm. because I got to get back to those important lifts. But you don't. Forget the Kimura. Let's just say that we're training the end range of internal rotation to make you incredibly strong at end range internal rotation. Guess what? Now you have end range internal rotation. That's going to translate to me kimura you if you were drugged and unconscious, right? Or, or whatever. So I think that's where we have to, I think what I'm trying to say is that I wanna train you and I wanna train you and I could give a shit about what everyone else tells me 
I'm supposed to be getting strong at. And, and I guess another example. I'm be. pointing to the gym, by the way, because if you were here, you would know that that way is our gym. I thought that was but, the way to the gun show. It's <laughs> over there. <laughs> but when we, talk, when we talk about this, so this is, again, we're being very specific with jets, right? Of, you know, well, how many times am I going to get caught in that particular position? And so is there a lot of diminishing returns? Because I'd rather spend my time. It's like you're rejecting the initial thing. But if you talk to um, one of our other instructors, John Quint, mm -hmm. who works with world-class bodybuilders, right, who are doing a list of pretty standardized, like these are the lifts they do and these are, you know, these are the exercises they do. He's still all about this because what's he want to do? He wants to access more, more range, tissue, more tissue, more range. You know, you want a guy's legs to get bigger, right? Give him more range, give yeah. him more tissue to access. Again, it's the confusion. Look up the, John Quinn. You think, yeah, you think that I'm saying don't train, don't get strong. But what I'm saying is, is training gets strong differently because like I said, for a, if you're doing a, if you're doing a bench press and, and I say, this is how you do it. I mean, we, we can go, I can go so many ways with this. So let's say this is your pec. This is the way that they draw a pec. You know, on those machines that you find in the, yes, they, that's, that is, is, that is the chest, the pec. That is the, so the, it's not, it, that's, and that's how it is on the Batman suit too. Exactly. So this is what they do and it fucking drives me crazy. On the little machine, the picture beside you, they do this and they color the whole damn thing in. As if to say this exercise is for your chest. But there's no such thing as your chest because this represents literally thousands of individual muscle fibers, literally. Thousands and thousands of individual muscle fibers. And if I take one of those muscle fibers out, each one of those fibers is its own muscle by way of the force tension curve, the force length, the force velocity, it's its own muscle. So the question becomes, if you put me under a bench press and you go, no, you're not doing it right, do it like this. Pinch your shoulders, arch your back, I want you doing it here. What you're saying is, I just want to train these ones. I like the pattern that, that activates that tissue. And now if I take that tissue, that tissue cannot indefinitely adapt. So eventually, I'm going to either break that tissue or I'm going to hit a an upper plateau as to how strong that tissue can get. But if a jiu-jitsu player is training, and let's say we're using the bench press because I think bench is fine, it's not a matter of getting into the bench press and doing it like you were told. It's a matter of saying, where are you weak? If I push up that way, okay, let's rep out there, sure. Now, internally rotate a bit, let's rep out there. Move a bit, let's rep out there. Because what I want to do is I want to find as many lines as I can, especially in something like jiu-jitsu because for sure I'm not going to be here, I might be here, I might be there, mm -hmm. I might be there, I might be here, I might be here. So what's the goal of training? Is it to get a better chest or is it to specifically pull in more of your chest so that I pull in all of these fibers so that I adapt everything instead of just adapting the one line that the exercise activates. So is, I hope that's helpful. Like if people, I, I can't go over the whole system, but I would re recommend that be careful about being a great power lifter if that's not your intention. You know what I'm saying? Like if that's not your goal, then power lifting's not your goal. And if you say, well, how about yoga? Is yoga good for jujitsu? I'm gonna say yoga is good for yoga. Mark's body is good for jujitsu. If Mark's body is such that yoga will help it, that's fine. But there's a lot of people who should not be going to yoga. 
for the same reason that they should not be doing Olympic lifts. They're just not ready for it. So in a nutshell, what does that mean? It means a complete rethinking of what you're doing. We talked about the squeeze. How many times a week are you hitting the squeeze? So it means the jiu-jitsu instructors should be having the students do pails and rails instead of push-ups as yeah. warm-up for class. Oh, hey, that's my warm-up. <laughs> again, again, I, I'm not going to say push-up. Push yes, I, I mean, essentially, it is. Essentially yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Even in the gym. And I, and I think the classic jiu-jitsu warm-up has to change. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, okay, so I've been, like you, I've been doing martial arts since I can remember remembering. And then I went and I studied, like, motor control and, and how people learn and how and then I'm looking at what we were doing mm -hmm. I was like what are we doing mm -hmm. like you go to a martial arts club and the warm-up not your club but many clubs by the time the warm-up's done that person is just annihilated like they're <laughs> And then and the coach is proud of it. I love you. My warm-up oh, kills dude. Them. Oh, you can, if you can get through my warm-up And they say strange things and jujitsu people are good for that. They say strange things like well, if you if you if you can train if you can you know roll now that you're getting used to rolling tired, like, that's not what you're. That's not how life works. Like it's just not. It's 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 not how. If you're gonna motor, if you're gonna teach me something very complicated with regards to motor learning, like mm -hmm. grabbing a lapel and doing this and mm -hmm. that and this, mm -hmm. for fuck sure you don't want someone who's exhausted. <laughs> like you want a hundred percent of their nervous system ready. So if anything, warm up, train, fuck them up later. Mm -hmm. Right, and I think the argument with the jujitsu coaches is they don't want you being strong doing jujitsu. Yeah, and I know from experience coaching, mm -hmm. the strongest guys that come into the class are always the most shit. Yeah, because they don't know how to relax, sure. and their joints are actually too tight. Probably, they don't have any range, let yeah. alone a functional range. Sure. Um, but, uh, but the reality is, the, those strongest guys are probably going to be the ones least tired after that warm up. What do you mean? Like if you're just smashing them in the warm up. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's they're, right. That's they're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, but yeah. going back to so, but the coach would the coach wants you not using strength in the rolling yeah. so that you're forced to rely on technique. Mm -hmm. The problem is at that point you are not in a position to protect your joints from damage mm -hmm. and from uh, ranges that are actually going to be hurtful. If you're exhausted. Yeah. 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 It it doesn't make sense from a motor control or motor learning standpoint. And it doesn't make sense from a sta safety standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Um, so yeah, that that would be. But there's, but at the same time, there's it, you got to balance it out because you do have to know how to roll when you're tired. Sure, but that's just having you have to have an amazing gas tank, yeah. and you have to learn how to roll calm. Mm -hmm. I I don't know, and again, you're the expert here. But as much as when somebody you know you start your roll and everyone's like, okay, guys, just like seventy percent. Right, and then you whatever that is. Yeah, whatever the fuck that is. And then as soon as you start, uh, hundred and ten, hundred every fucking. So it's almost like your instructor should continuously remind us, mm -hmm. slow it down, technique, slow it down, technique. Because nowadays, man, people just go fucking balls out immediately. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, but not to take a left turn too deep down a rabbit hole so you mentioned the conditioning part of it too right so I okay think, yeah yes yeah, the so, second part yeah so again and we've had this conversation like joel and i about like you know improving gas tank and what's and then what's the best thing so it's and obviously we talk about a, a lot at seminars building your gas tank doesn't come from just rolling okay exactly do you have more that's enough that's it yeah that's the other thing i was going to say it's like let's talk forget strength strength is one thing 
what I said conceptually, people might have a hard time understanding, but in this example, it might be better. So gas tank, let's talk about cardio. So some somewhere along the way, I don't know when it happened, um, the assumption was that you don't need to do any long distance, low intensity work. You just have to do interval work, just go fucking crazy, right? So every time someone comes to a cardio workout, it's like, how can I make this person puke? Or what can I do to push my level of pukiness a little further? So everything's done at 100% intensity. Now, well, the, the knowledge at one point yep. was, and this was like among the elite, Yes. was the best way to train the aerobic yes. is to train the anaerobic, and then yes. you actually train both. Fucking brilliant. And to best, you want to be good at long distance? Yeah. Do sprints. Wrong. Right. But wrong, and I'll tell you why. Because this is, they forgot something. And it goes, harkens back to what we were saying about if I'm training him, I have to train the physical shit that makes up his body. Like the muscles and the ligaments, and they have to- And the scar tissue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, and, a lot of and the arthritis. There's a lot of shit. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, don't just take a shitty, not that you're a shitty body, but don't take someone's shitty body and throw them into the gym. So and far say, he's called you a meat wagon? Yeah. Meat wagon. Shitty wagon. It's a lot of That's why I have body been. shaming going on. But you I put him in into the gym and you say, do all of these crazy lifts. And what you're forgetting is, is that you have to prepare the, the body, the muscle tissue itself. Now with regards to cardio, people have forgot that they have to train the ability to output, but the, 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 the meat that makes the difference is your heart, right? How do you train your heart? And, and by doing things fast, it doesn't physically make you a better heart. Okay, so there's something called eccentric hypertrophy of your ventricle. So a ventricle and a heart. That happened to me yesterday. At the end of the second round, laying on my back, I definitely felt eccentric. What was it called? Eccentric hypertrophy. So let's say you have your atria and your ventricles. I'm giving this as your heart. So, you know, one of these pumps. pumps Mine is more black. One, one of your pump, your heart, one of your. Uh, pumps, pumps blood to the body and another one pumps it to your lungs, okay? And this is your black heart in its, in its entirety. Incredible. This heart okay. you speak of. Perfect. Now, if I do hard, intense CrossFit shit, what I'm telling the heart to do is contract, 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 as hard as you can, right? Yeah. Fast. The fact of the matter is, and I'm not going to go into this detail, when you contract a muscle fast versus slow, it's not the same mechanism and it doesn't work the same way. If you always go fast, you're getting your heart to get accustomed to going fast. But physically, you'll never change your heart. Because as blood pools in your ventricle, the ventricle accepts blood and then squeezes it out. But if you're just saying, squeeze, 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 you're getting a very small amount of blood in your ventricle before you push out. If you're doing long distance work at a low intensity, right? Diesel. Yeah. like. Nick Diaz type shit, where you're going running, like you're going long distance intensity, very low. You pull way more blood into your ventricle, so your ventricle actually has to get bigger. It, it, it fills so much that the physical material in your heart changes so that it can accept more blood and more blood. This is called eccentric hypertrophy. This is a training goal, just like contracting fast. So. To answer your question, what do I do cardio-wise? Yeah, you should be doing interval training. You should be rolling hard and fatiguing the shit out of yourself. But 
there should be times during the week where you're training low level two work. What I mean by low level two is heart rate's low, but for a way longer distance. And it's the same as strength training. You have to train you and the lifts for cardiovascular training. You have to train the heart and the output. And this is new for a lot of people. Yeah, it's old, but it's new again, yes. Mm. Yeah, because people, like you said, you're right. It something something happened along the way where people were like, yeah, it was all hit, hit training. Work. I want to get all my workout done in 45 minutes. Yeah, and I'm good for the rest of the day and the rest of the week. And I can't understand why my fucking back hurts. Right. So you took all of your physical activity that, from an evolutionary process, should have been spread across 24 hours, and you decided to put it all into a 35 minute espresso class at your gym, and then your tissues explode, and everyone's like, I don't know what the fuck happened. Of course you do. Of course you can't you can't you can't take a, a, a day's worth of work and put it into an hour and expect your tissues to not suffer Right, you, that's why like a training day for me. I say when you wake up you start training It stops when you go back to sleep for guys like you know in, in martial arts world You have to start opening your body when you wake up and you can't stop opening your body until you sleep sounds exhausting it's not really. It's just move around, man. You know what I mean? So this is, we're talking about a 45-minute power walk or jog. What, for this? Yeah. For this, I'm talking about even an hour of a low, if you have a heart rate monitor, it's level two training. So your heart rate gets, you know, j one is like daily activity. Two is like there's a, you know, it's a, it's a long distance, low. Generally, you'll be able to have a conversation while you're doing it, it's not a good measure, but it's a comfortable workout where if your buddy was beside you and you wanted to talk during your workout, you could do it without getting out of breath, that level. A low sustained drudge, could be running. Most people when they run, they come out of zone one anyway, so most people shouldn't use running. Yeah, cycling. Yeah, cycling's a good way to keep it low, but, but again, it's not like you only do that, that'll fuck you up too, you have to do High interval, low interval, you have to train for your body, specifically for your tissue, as well as how efficient the tissue is. Right now, everyone's only working on how efficient the tissue is, but their tissue is of shitty quality, which is, which is a problem. So, it's the same, it's cardio versus strength, it's the same thing. It's like, you have to think, what tissue am I trying to get at? What am I trying to do with the tissue? So you're not just learning how to become a bench presser. What this sounds like the classic road, what boxers would call road work. Road work, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's funny. Yeah, Diaz, Class, classic, right? It's old. Yeah. It's old. It's, it's, it's old. like. But something happens in the last twenty years with this these hit workouts, and it's and we've had this conversation watching certain people's like fitness classes, right? And you know, I'll watch a forty-five minute class or an hour class, and I'm cringing. Because I'm going, yeah, half those people shouldn't be doing 90% of those exercises from a prerequisite standpoint, you know, or they're like, they're dead. It's just that hit thing. It's like, yeah, I know, but they didn't improve anything. They got their sweat in because instead of having, say, an 80-20 rule of like slow to, mm. slow to fast, it's, it's 100 hit work. That's all it is. So, yeah, you feel spent at the end of the class. They're lying down. You smashed them. Yay. I had a great workout. Did you? Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. And that's why like, we always make jokes you know about you know the embrace the suck just embrace the suck yeah there's a time to embrace the suck you're in competition you're three fights in right you don't want to be there you're tired you guessed yeah there's a mental game that you have to do but do you want to do that over prolonged training hey run an extra 10 miles i don't know it feels like my knee's gonna fall out 
Okay. Just embrace the suck. Oh, hey, Mark, you have a shredded meniscus. You're not running for the next yeah, six months. Yeah, don't embrace the suck. I don't know who the fuck said that. Like, yeah. people got to stop with this shit. Like, yeah. just fuck, I don't care if you're tired, push through. That's what dumb people say before they get hurt. Yes. And I'm so, I'm so tired of going Can you put on, that on a shirt? I, I should. Like, uh, like I, don't, I don't care about... But that's for sure an Instagram post. Yeah, I don't care about being tired. I put, like, man, that's, a, that's dumb. Like, that's not, that's not what smart people do. You know what I'm saying? Like, just work hard. If that was the answer, why the fuck do we have sports science? Right. Like, why do I even have a job if all you need to do is work hard and then when you, when you puke, just keep fucking going? Like your bench press. Just keep going. How long have you been bench pressing? Like fucking forty three years. So would Just you would you going. say working in this system is is equal in terms of let's say your time is finite. Yeah. In a week. Yeah. You're gonna do cardio four times. Sure. Whether cardio is this or that. Yeah. Would you split two and two? Are you still rolling? Yeah. Okay. So you're you're doing a lot of intense work. Yeah. You're doing a lot so if you're asking me should if you're a JITS guy in the audience and you're listening to this, should you maybe take your extra work and tone down so you can put more level two? Yes, I, I would think so. So, you don't, you don't need, you're, you're rolling so much anaerobically. Like that, you, yeah. you, you could be rolling five times a week, literally. That's like training. Like four, four times a week, there's your hit workout. That is training. Right? And, so, and then, so what's gonna improve your jujitsu faster is that workout, not the sprints. No, Correct. you're already sprinting. It's like, I train in the morning, I go to just in the evening. What'd you do in the morning? I did sprint work. What'd you do in the evening? I did different sprint work. Hmm. No, right? What a waste of time. What'd you do in the morning? I, did a, I, did a, I worked on the physical ability for my heart to function as a human heart should. What'd you do in the evening? I practiced my heart. You ever hear these, I, I knew of a, a marathon runner, local guy, young, family, heart attack. Mm. Yep. Mi middle or end of a of yeah. a uh, of a marathon, yeah. it's, and it's it, not uncommon. Eh? And the heart has, my understanding is, it's like city miles. Mm -hmm. The heart can only work so much for so long, and then it just you get. You have an expiry date. You have an There's, expiry date. There is a certain number of an average number of heartbeats that you get. Yeah. Right? So you can think of your life as time trips around the sun. Yeah. Or heartbeats. It's generally... So if you're a guy listening to the podcast yes. and you're super active, whether it's triathlons or Ironman or CrossFit or Jiu-Jitsu, at what point should you regularly be getting your heart checked? Hmm. And how? Okay. So And why do I think about this? Because there's times where I'm rolling or I've rolled and I think, I don't know what a heart attack feels like, but I know that my heart's racing at a, a level right now that... Yeah. I'm having trouble catching my breath. Uh, yeah. Or another, you're in, someone's holding you in side control after a, a crazy scramble, and they're compressing, and you can't get enough oxygen in to breathe, yeah. right? And your heart's working. Um, I had that conversation with the blue belt last week, right? <clears throat> um, you know, one of our Persian friends, mm -hmm. who I'm like, you okay? He goes, goes yeah, was he coughing? No. <laughs> Yeah, he was coughing right in my mouth. It was very strange. And we weren't on the mat. So, no, but he's, he was saying, he was like, he's just like, oh, like, I'm, I'm, I have this pain here. I'm like, quick, I'm, grab some aspirin. I'm, no, but it's just, but as a lawyer, I'm like, you know, like, and you su it settle down, whatever. I'm like, do you get a physical? Like, mm. you know, do you get blood work, everything else? Yeah. Every time you go, like, once a year or every single, like, get an EKG. Get it, get it, like, you should be 100% be getting tested all the time. There's a lot to unpack there. First off, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a 
fucking fact that there's quite a few marathon runners that drop dead during a marathon. Mm. It's uh, so the only thing I can say to that is I in my job in med- medicine I work in percentages, and what you're doing when you're training for your health is you're you're trying to you're just giving yourself a better chance, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to drop dead tomorrow. Like you you know what I mean? Like you can you can be the best marathon runner in the world, and for whatever fucking reason, dead. But what I would say with the other thing is like you're you're getting rolled, you're rolling, you have this crushing thing into your heart, your your heart feels like it's gonna explode out of your chest. Your heart's working really, really hard. That's generally what we're saying. So the question is, is how do you make that person better? My answer was build a better heart. Because if you just keep beating the fuck out of it, yeah, you'll are you going to get better or does your jiu-jitsu get better and then you stop working as hard and then you feel like your cardio is improved? This mm. is the other weird mm-hmm. thing. I'm like, my chest was, it was beating out of my chest and a year later, I don't have that feeling anymore. I might, I must be cardiovascularly more fit or you're just better at jiu-jitsu and you've accommodated. Mm-hmm. Just like the water example. Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to swim. Well, yeah, man, you know how to fucking swim now. So you don't let that feeling be your guide the, the fact of the matter is, is if you have that feeling it means your particular heart under the stress it's under right now it's trying to output what you want but it can't it's 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 at its limit so the limit is determined by the physical makeup of the heart as well as your will and, and power and i want to f- push through but physically you want to tell people to build a, a good heart that should that should be you do this, you do this when you teach, but that should be the moral of the podcast is that you're bringing yourself to your training and it's your body that has all of the limitations from then on, right? It's your body. If you, you can teach anyone how to do a great triangle, I've seen it a billion times. The, old, the, the deterring factor is never you, it's, it's the person. It's always the person's body as to whether or not it's even a you know, an option. Last, last night, we went through that with uh, the mounted triangle setups. Mm-hmm. Some people just couldn't figure out how to like, I can't, I can't lock it up. Like, because they're just not used to like having access to the, you know, range of motion or body control of, you know. And again, you go around and you're gonna correct them. Like, no, put your hips higher, do this, you know, post out here, make some space. Like, it's coachable, but some people it's like, oh yeah, you for sure shouldn't be doing a triangle. You have no hips, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're done. Yeah, let's go to let's go to something else. I don't think we can expect people to put that into play, but it's the truth though. Like yeah. if you had a best case scenario, and you watched a person and you watched their shitty attempt at a triangle, and then you're like, "Can you show me your hip?" And you're like, "You don't have a fucking hip." That person should probably be doing like arm bars. You know what I mean? Like triangles is not in the fucking. That's not your game. It's not in yeah. the. Yeah. But sometimes working the triangle can improve sure. your hip. Uh, depending, yes. Not in your definition of like a perfectly functional range for the triangle. Being able to bring their leg on their own towards their head. Yeah. But there is that, and that's another. And and the other thing is, sometimes people don't realize that they have a shitty hip until they realize the limitation by being by having to execute a triangle. And some people don't have the motivation to work on that joint until they see the limitation of the inability to perform this exercise. But I think what usually happens is, and you know, like our our brother Sean there, you know, Mm -hmm. it would be a great example is like. They'll just they'll make an accommodation somewhere else, right? Yeah, and, mm. they'll, and they'll cheat themselves into finishing the triangle. Mm-hmm. So that really have pull down on the head. Yeah, like they really haven't <laughs> built any better of a hip. They just sort of figured out a temporary hack to sort of 
get into that position. Which, listen, is valid if it works, but you know, but eventually their hips still going to blow. How was it different? How was it different before? When did you tell us the story? So when was that fight with you and and Ruben Osato? Uh, Ninety eight. Ninety-eight. So, as far as I, I don't really know the story. So you can refresh me in the story. Were you training for that fight, or was that like just put on your lap? Both. So you were training for him. Uh, like how the fuck did that happen? Is my question. So why don't, why don't we dial it back a little bit? You could explain sort of the circumstances of how you ended up in Japan. Oh, fighting Sato and Shudo. Uh, okay. With zero MMA experience. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, gather round, children. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll give you the short version of the fight. Um, I was training with Carlos Newton at the time, who had um, been sent to Japan and had beaten the Valetudo champion, Eric Paulson, who was a big deal at that time. And then the Japanese said to my coach, well, do you have anybody else? And he said, yeah. And at that point, it was funny because I was senior to Carlos. Mm-hmm. So it's like when he asked, if, do you have anybody else? It was kind of like, I, I got someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, we had seen video of Sato prior to that, just smashing people. He'd beat up um, uh, an American fighter whose name is escaping me now, but that everybody w- was kind of like uh, afraid of at the time, and, and he smashed him. And then uh, my coach said when we were watching the VHS tape, you know, in the class, he's like, "Oh, don't worry, you won't have to fight that guy." <laughs> <laughs> and then the Japanese sent a fax, and they said we would like um, Mr. Sato to fight Mr. Gerson. Uh, and we'll pay Mr. Gerson this amount of money and we'll bring him back if, you know, if he loses you know, two more times and whatever. And I don't even know where I thought of it, but I said to my coach, I said, okay, fine, uh, but if I win, I want this much. And the Japanese kind of laughed and signed the facts back and went, okay, sure, no problem. Because he was, <laughs> ten, he was 10 and 0 and he was, on all the lists, he was considered the pound for pound yeah. champion. Um, and then uh, we started training for the fight. My coach... Um, was out of town for a lot of the training, so I was doing the best I could with what we had. How long did you have? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I was like maybe six weeks, two months. I don't remember. No, I don't think it was two months. I think it was like, okay. I would guess it would be around six weeks, Okay. something like that. Um, the problem is training for a guy that you can't duplicate in practice. Sure. So we how do you that. mimic these patterns? We when, hear that a lot. Nobody, with, yeah. nobody moves like that guy. Okay. So how do I get my training partners to... How do, I, how do I prepare for that pattern ahead of time um, so that it's not a shock to my system when I get in there? And you can do it as much as possible, but... It's always a shock, I'm assuming. It's terrible. Like, yeah. you, to get... Like, when he kicked my leg, it was, like, you know... It, oh! You feel it through your spine. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh, I don't... This is violent! Oh, I don't want to do this ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but you can't get kicked like that in training, really. Because you just yeah. break down. Yeah. Like it breaks your body down. Or at least if you if there was a way to do it back then, we didn't know. No, getting kicked sucks no matter what. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, long story short, uh, um, you know, I ended up getting the victory uh, back then. But... Um, Armbar second round? First round. Was it first round? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we didn't want to go to... I didn't want to go to a second round. <laughs> like that. No. That, then we have to start standing again and all that kind of stuff. But the point, but the point is, like, how, you know, back then it was the Wild West. How do you train all these different systems, including recovery, and still get strong, and do jiu-jitsu, and kickboxing, and, and boxing, and, and wrestling, and, and all that, and mix it together. What did you do, though? So that's, that's a good question. So let's say, let's arguably say you had six weeks. Yeah. 
What did you do? You remember some positional, a lot of positional sparring from positions that I knew he was really good at. Okay. So how to avoid the triangle? How to avoid flying arm bars? Uh, leg locks? How to avoid leg? Like he was dangerous in a lot of places. Uh, some kickboxing sparring, obviously, mm-hmm. not enough. Sure. Sure. <laughs> like we just started striking. Yeah. Uh, you know, not that long prior yeah. to that. Um, and then I do recall also doing weights. You did some weights. Yeah. As an adjunct. Yeah. But it was very hard to, you know, to rest enough and to coordinate everything because the boxing coach is not talking to the jiu-jitsu coach. Yeah. And the jiu-jitsu coach is also your strength coach. And what the fuck does he know anyways? Yeah. I th- again, diminishing returns. I don't, I don't, I, I, th- I think a lot of people are wasting a lot of time. Like I would have said exactly what you would have said. Like if you said, the problem, you have the, six weeks, yeah. I would have been like, well, that's exactly what you would do. Yeah. And the problem is, is, is as, a, as an athlete, as soon as you start to question stuff, and you doubt mm. you have and as soon as you doubt the process or the coach or the link between everything you you carry that into the ring sure and it's a nightmare yep. because it eats away at you you're like well i'm not ready i'm not ready mm-hmm. that's why i like to teach coaches mm-hmm. necessarily that not work with the athletes but that's for that reason because tell an athlete what i just told them like a high level athlete like what do you mean like Everything I'm doing is wrong. Oh fuck! And now you have the psyche of it's terrible. Told you that you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I would advise that people. If you're a coach, you bleed these concepts in. But it's amazing though when you say you have a fight in six weeks. How your training fell more in line with exactly what we've been talking about for the last few hours, mm-hmm. which is where's the percentages? You immediately went to like eighty twenty. So when something serious is about to happen. It pushes you into 80-20. I need to f- I'm going to fight this guy. This guy's amazing at triangles. I need to put my time there. Right. Right? But some guys don't even look at tape of their opponent. Yeah. They say, I'm going to do, which yeah. is a respectable strategy in the sense that I'm going to impose my will I'm gonna, and he's going to adjust to me. Sure. You would, not, you would not have thought that when you were fighting Rumun Osato I don't for impo- your first MMA fight. For sure you didn't think that. No, it was a nightmare. Did you, th- that? you didn't think you were going to impose your will. Um, I knew that I had a very specific game that I had to impose, okay. but I had to respect his, his weapons. Like, you, ha- like you, you can't go in and be like, oh. and, a classic, and a classic story of someone that did that was Hafal Cordero, okay. who was the, he was the head trainer for Shootbox. Because yeah. I had this conversation with him because he lost to Sato. He didn't look at any tape of Sato. And all of a sudden, he's, in the, he's getting warmed up in the back room. And he looks up and he sees the highlight reel of the guy he's about to fight. And he's warming up and, he see, and he's like, what the fuck? Mm. And he didn't train for him. And he lost. So what do you, what do you think's the... With your experience, do you think that the one is just being hard-headed when you're saying, fuck this, I'm just going to do what I no, do? No, listen, I think for some people, that's a great approach. And, for, and some people have done one way... Um, there's a guy I competed with in jiu-jitsu who used to look at tape of all the guys he was fighting and, and, you know, and, and worry about that and, and try it. And then after a lot of experience competing, stopped looking at it and just did his game. Mm. Marcelo Garcia mm. would go into Mondial's mm. as an underdog and not look at any of the legends' names that he was going up. It's Marcelo Garcia, though, is it? <laughs> yeah, but so, so who yeah. do you model yourself after? Would you say that, okay, would you say that the people who say, I'm not going to watch tape... Um, that's more of a it might be good for them because of the mental aspect yeah because for sometimes sure you, physical aspect. sometimes you look at tape and you go fuck that mm-hmm. and then you get intimidated you think look this guy's so good at this mm-hmm. or he's so good at this or blah, blah, blah. so I think that there's there's merit to, dip to both approaches it depends on the athlete 
I, I don't think I can tell you that one is necessarily better than the other. I think it just depends. Yeah. I mean, the the example coming up would be like, well, any example. If you're if you're a JITS guy, let's say you have a JITS guy who's about to fight, um, and you know that your guy is going up, let's say, against uh, a 10th planet black belt, right? Mm-hmm. I don't... Can you see a conceivable way where you say that you shouldn't specifically train for that? You know what I'm saying? I, I, like, to or me, do you, it doesn't. To me, for example, I have an athlete competing at, uh, in a jiu-jitsu competition, and I know that um, there's someone that they've lost to in the past, or there's there's a part of their game that is going to get exploited because this person is good at it. It's hard not to look at tape and be like, "Listen, you you suck at." getting out of lasso we have to we have to work on that because the person you're fighting is that's their specialty so i like to look at fight gone bad mm-hmm. and take the worst case scenario and or improve on the weakness so that at, at the same time it also does help build the confidence of the fighter now they think okay worst case scenario i get here i know what to do mm-hmm. so even if they don't get there you're covered that's part that's part of the process aside from sharpening the tools and work on everything else Maybe it's a combo where the coach should be doing that job. Yeah. Like if you have someone who's mentally, you think they're going to get weirded out, then you should for sure look at the tape for your... Yeah. Right? That would make the yeah. most sense. Sure. I mean, there's probably no data to support it, but I think the other person you're talking about mm-hmm. is says, I'm just going to go in and impose my will. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the outliers of the group because they're so proficient at whatever their specialty is. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about it all the time. Oh, you know this person, he's going to throw you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a shit what you're going to do. He's, he grabs you, you're getting tossed in your head, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, or Hodger is going to get bound and he's going to choke you. Like, that's just going to happen. You know it's coming mm-hmm. and you can't shut it down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's there's probably a lot of probative value in at least knowing what you're going up against. I'd be, I'd be, I think it'd be interesting. I mean, when you post this, I think it'd be great for coaches to actually comment. Yeah. And say what their experience is mm-hmm. in terms of prepping their athletes yeah. as far as like how much tape do they watch of their opponents. Um, obviously in lifting, I think it's irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. But when there's a specific adversary that has specific strengths and weaknesses, and we talk about the strengths, but there's also weaknesses. You know, your opponent is not very good at, you know, defending footlocks. So, you know, there's a few things I want to work on with you to take advantage of that. To your point, where I think it's 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 the coach's eye that you don't want to mm. sort of be the filter in between the athlete. Well, if you're fighting fucking Ryan Hall, and you're going to claim that you don't need anybody to see any tape, can we just I not mean, fight Ryan Hall? Yeah, say that we did. Yeah, bad idea. Like that just seems like a like a bad idea to not see what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Which apparently that's a problem. He couldn't get a, can't get any fights. I think he just nobody wants to fight him. When are you coming back to jujitsu? Can I tell a quick story about Dre? Yes. I saw Dre. Dislocate his shoulder. Yes. And then in jujitsu. Yeah. And then relocate it. Yes. And it was like watching a woman give birth. The amount of pain on your face, grabbing the weight. Yeah. And ramming it, ramming the shoulder back into its socket. Two things. In the weight room. Two things I want to point out because you say that and everyone in Instagram land is going to go apeshit because they're like, how can Dre get injured? And let's just slow down. When you're in jiu-jitsu, you're given the injury by your opponent. So I didn't injure my shoulder. I, I had, don't remember how. Did, I had oh, my shoulder oh, ripped did. out. Right. I don't remember who did that. It was. Uh, yeah, let's not. Name we won't name names. I don't know. Listen, it was. It was. Yeah. 
it was that. But yeah, like I had my ACL torn for me. So don't jump on and go, oh, so you get hurt too. Because nobody ever said that you're injury pr- proof. Like you're, no one's going to be going to tell me that they're not going to get injured. Everyone gets injured. It's how much damage, how long did it take to get back? Like, for example, my ACL, I was full squatting in like three weeks after surgery. That's what's impressive, not the injury. But getting back to your point, I want to say something. No matter if you're a student of manual therapy, no matter what the fuck you read on how to put a shoulder back in, <laughs> none of that shit works. <laughs> like fucking nut. Do you, you don't remember how I did it. So I was doing the I, weight. I had the weight. You remember was, you had the weight? That's how I did it. Remember that I was doing the weight I was tra- because you're supposed to do this. And then you're supposed to do all of these movements and all this fucking nonsense. I, the way I did it was after I did the weight and it wasn't working, I went like this. I grabbed my knee and I just went, boom, and just like extended back. That was the only shit to put that back. But don't do it on your own. If you dislocate, like, don't put the joint back in on your by yourself. That's anyway. Continue your story. Yeah, and he fucking put his shoulder, and it, I don't know how long it. I think it took. We were there for about fifteen. Yeah, it was a while. You're, you're, and the longer it takes, the and the, you're cooling gets, down, and it gets yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah. That was but you were in agony, and I yeah. watched that. And I'm like, he just fucking put his shoulder back in. Yeah. 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 Not a, not a great injury for a manual therapist. It was alright. Yeah, you're fine. It was fine. It was fine. What? Uh, yeah. I forgot where we were going with this. Um, Joel just wanted to tell a funny story about you smashing your shoulder. And then it brought back an anecdote. Horrible memories. But I do have to teach a jiu-jitsu lunch class. Ah, so, so I appreciate. I appreciate the drawings. Yes. Now we have drawings to go by. Uh, yeah. So uh, revmma.com. Yeah. So if if anybody's in the GTA. And they want to learn jujitsu or kickboxing or boxing, combat fitness. I can speak. Or see this can handsome speak, mug. Or you can see this guy. I can speak to the the quality of that of the club for sure. That's a, it's a it's a great place to, to check out. Even the facility. Or for the or for your kids as well. Obviously, our kids programs are are spectacular. We have a mixed martial arts program for kids that has a lot of jujitsu in it. That actually contemplates ideas as to how to build better kids. Right? Yeah. So that's that's, that's building thing better little hu- building. Better little uh, that, humans. Can you get that fight, your fight on, you can get that on YouTube, right? Yeah, but don't watch it because I'm a lot better now. I, I can't, I can also, I can't yeah, look at it. I can't, you know, yeah. you go into a fight without striking. Like that was Dude, a timestamp back then. Compared, you yeah, beat your I ass. focused on striking for a long time. You'd beat your ass. Oh, yeah. Your young, your young ass. My would young you, ass. Would you beat your young ass and can I Twitter that? I would beat my. That sounds Joe bad. Person, I'd beat my young I ass. I would beat my young ass. I understand. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, you would. Okay, Mark, anything else to add? That's it. Do you want to plug anything? Do you have any comedy dates coming up? Uh, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. I'll be at the... Uh, I'll the, be at the uh, no. No. All right. Uh, that's it. Thank you very much, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Later. Bye.